Say that the podcast for your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and join me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. I'm misbehaving. Yes. Also joining us, Jed Brew, the director of Mission USA Productions. Greetings. So joining us all the way from Oakridge, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. Hello, folks. Well, it's a big episode for us today. We have Hooting the Blowfish drummer and current CCM musical artist, an all-around good dude, Jim Sonefeld. Later Ooh. in the show, got an interview with him yeah. talking. Music and rock stardom and uh, recovery and faith and all that sort of good stuff. So, pack show or we? I know we normally like to you know goof around a little bit. We okay to kind of get into it? Well, this is as you point out. This is uh, you know uh, a guy who's seen as as much musical success as it's possible to imagine. Uh, you know, uh, is is uh, telling uh, you his stories of his amazing ups and downs and how he found found Christ and all that. It's a compelling interview, and I, you know, in my mind, I think you know what. Uh, for heaven's sake, let's not kid around. Let's get down to business. Let's just get right to it. Let's get right to it. So well, that's I'm, my vote. Okay. I'm glad we're all on the same page. We do have a question before we get into the Jim Sonnefeld interview. Obviously, this wait a second. Time. I declare an emergency. That well, fake out was longer than normal. That that was surprising. I I I couldn't have seen that coming. Well, Glenn, before you jump into it, we probably yeah. have some new listeners because we have uh, Jim on the. So why don't we? Why don't you tell us the what an emergency is, and then what has come up that has been so dire as to earn emergency status? Right. Well, occasionally, uh, maybe you know, one in twenty or thirty episodes, one hundred eighty-five out of one hundred eighty-five. We have a, a, a some sort of crisis, some sort of problem that's brewing, right? And uh, the 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 proper parliamentary procedure is someone declares an emergency. Okay. Yep. Then what we do is we discuss the emergency, we work it out. Mm-hmm. Almost we, never work it out. We get to a place of unity. Sure. That's never happened. Consensus. Consensus. If anything, we're far more divided after the emergency. <laughs> uh, we get to we do, we get the theologically correct take on the situation. That's just a lie. And then we <laughs> everyone move is forward. heard and respected. Yeah, totally. And, and then at some point, someone declares emergency off. Yep. And then again, as is proper, Robert rules water. At that point, you can take off your yellow safety vest. And move on with the show. And, and Switch out on. bracelets. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, a lot of people out there, they may be new to the podcast. Uh, and here's one thing that you need to know is some podcasts have fans. Right. What this podcast has is super fans. Oh, yeah. Yep. Now, what's the difference between a super fan and a regular fan? Well, for example, recently we had a group of people who wrote into us. Now, they've been doing a small group uh, meeting based on the podcast. They That's listen true. to the podcast and they have small group meeting. This thing has become so popular, it's out of control. Yes. And uh, they wrote into us and saying, you know, we have to, to use our amazing brains to figure out how to deal with the situation. Sure. Well, here's and a funny... And landed at a small group cage match for admission. That's right. And uh, so... What hor- horrifying thing if you come up with this time to emergency us with? 
Oh, can't remember. Oh, <laughs> here's what it is. <laughs> well, old machine. Um, here's literally what, before we hit record. Here's one. Here's one of the things that happens out there, y'all. <laughs> is people because we mentioned we record at the end of the day. Be, pe, people love us. Some more than others. It's not a competition. I mean, if it was, we do have to say that leaderboard here at the Say That World headquarters. Yeah, but here's what happens: because people love us, uh, occasionally when we do, you know, when we just sometimes the wisdom is so stupefying, right? They just they're like staggered by that, and then they immediately bake us uh, 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 cookies. It doesn't uh, have to be immediate. They can do it at their own pace as yeah. long as it gets done. Uh, and then they send us uh, candy and cookies and so on and so forth. From the world over. And then we eat those. And, and enjoy them. And enjoy them. And we're fueled by them. Mm-hmm. And then more wisdom comes out. Exactly right. Well, here's what's happening. It's been a little bit of a long time since we've had any uh, influx of cookies. We Hello. are in the midst of an, uh, a cookie drought. Now, I don't want to make anybody feel bad. I don't want to <laughs> manipulate anybody into immediately getting those cookies. But you know what? I think that's the not wi- the whole point of this segment at all. I think the wisdom has been there week in, week out. Mm-hmm. You're saying you're starting to wonder if we've done something wrong. Uh, it, you know, is it something we said? Almost it- certainly. <laughs> if you were if you were like a coach and you were reviewing the tapes, you know, yeah, would you would you like if you went back and listened to like one of Jed's answers on this question, you listen to one of my answers on that question, listen to the way that that Matt kind of cleans up the pieces that we leave off and and you know tosses it around. As you're if you were to review the podcast, would you say this is baked goods worthy stuff that people are getting from? I mean, from our end of the thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, yeah, you can look back and uh I you know, I think we all have a sense of who who's the weak link that we could blame. Sure. Uh but uh you know, I think we're we're over the mark week in and week out. I know? I do also want to point out to listeners that you're getting a sense of the psychological warfare Glenn uses as a manager and boss because he just <laughs> put it out there. I mean, we all know who the weak link is. <laughs> they just kind of scanned the room to each of us. Yeah. <laughs> then went back to this, his point. Everybody got worryingly silent when he said that, and immediately my first thought was, the cookie drought is tearing this podcast apart. Yes, it's it tearing is. tearing this podcast apart. I was going to say, I'll go back to something when Lee started that analogy of the coach, which Are I like. Are you happy? It may be, some would say, it may be bad coaching to use cookies as motivation, but I really like the idea of like Alabama's Nick Saban, just with the thing of snickerdoodles, breaking down the tape. Yeah, yeah. Are you Good ha- block, Jim. Have a yeah. snickerdoodle. <laughs> Are you happy, podcast listeners? Look, just the other day, uh, Glenn's giving a response, and I'm sitting there thinking, that's wisdom worthy of a bunt cake. Okay? Right. That's right. what it's I'm specific. thinking. <laughs> right. I but mean, you know what? You know what? There's no bunt cake. There's no bunt cake. And it feels Mainly like... because there haven't been bunt cakes since 1954, <laughs> but... Feels like we're getting robbed. We're getting All right. shafted. <laughs> all right. We work and slave over a hot podcast right. all day long. Right. I mean. One hour a week. One hour. But and this is the thanks we get. No bunt cake. No bunt cake. Yeah. I enjoy a delightful bunt cake. I would like to uh, to springboard off this into a story to let, you into the, let the listener into the mindset of those of us on this podcast, mainly Glenn and Jed. 
Now we have had people. Now we we get lots of nice emails and tweets and um, people like our friends uh, Mike and Nicole who actually instead of put it, giving out a little trinket at their wedding, gave that money to Mission USA, which was one of the coolest things that's ever happened to us. Yep. We've had people travel from uh, other lands. To other come, parts of the world. To come hang out and be a part of the podcast. It's great stuff. Now, however, a couple of times, people have, out of the goodness of their hearts and ovens, sent baked goods. It's actually yeah. happened quite a few times. It's actually happened quite a few times. Now, normal people would look at that and say, isn't that a lovely thing that person did? And yes. Should we acknowledge it as an outstanding and, you know, out of the ordinary, uh, lovely thing to do. Glenn and Jed look at that and say, seems about right. Yeah, it's the new that's normal. Correct. That's what the rest correct. of you chumps not making cookies. Yeah. Now, this exactly is not right. just a cookie problem or a podcast <laughs> thing. We, uh, we do a weekly chapel service, Division One of Cook County Jail. And um, one week, Glenn and Jed went in with our friend Woody and did a service. And it turned out that... The, they were transferring some prisoners in another part of the jail, so they actually had to keep the room they were in locked down for a few extra minutes after the service was over, a little later than normal. And uh, the, uh, the about, th- what, 30 or 40 inmates yep. who were there decided, well, you guys come in and help us and preach to us and sing to us. So to take up this spot of time, we're all kind of stuck for a second. We're going to sing to you. Yes. right. And they sang a song that they sang at their deck prayer to Glenn and Jed and... um. Jed, what was the two of you's reaction to that? Our immediate response was, this is the new normal. Yes. This is how it should be from now on. Why, why isn't everyone singing to us? And, and Glenn, how did you explain that? How did you explain that to Brother Woody on the way out? Well, I, I explained to him that uh, wherever we go, uh, we, we feel we're being slighted because uh, nobody's singing to us. And yeah. that was immediate, like on the walk out. Yeah. Th- this is now the new bare minimum. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, uh, you know... Uh, I think people, I, I, and I get what you're saying. What you're saying is you people do. people should sing us songs. Yes, they should. They should. That would that would work fine. Songs you, to us if, and about us. If you want to record a song and send it to anyone, do not send it to the Say That Podcast account because I have to check that. Jed at missionusa.com. Glenn at missionusa.com. Yeah. Well, here's the other I, thing is another way that this podcast gets torn apart from the sending of the baked goods is we have people who will send baked goods and then have sent individual notes to each of the right. hosts. Yes. It with the thing and then they will say, "Don't tell the others, but you're my favorite." Yes. Yeah. That's and the funny so, part about that is we all got that. Yeah. We all compared and said, "Haha, it's not a funny thing Kristen did." Glenn, however, again, between the mindset said, "Yeah, but I'm the one she meant it to." <laughs> <laughs> I think we all know that's true. <laughs> Glenn I, still has his on display, I, even though he knows the rest of us got him. I I think we all know. In my case, it really was true. So you know, um, but uh, uh, so yeah, that's um, Sanders cookies. You just told us the rules of order for the emergency. I declared an emergency off. Thank you. <laughs> A delicious home baked emergency off. <laughs> Uh, preferably like a two-day express or bud cake <laughs> we demand bud cake we shall not continue unless there is a bud cake with a pineapple drizzle on the oh that does sound good yeah, right? that sound that's gonna be the first time the word bunt cake has ever been yelled in anger <laughs> that was a very aggressive bunt cake <laughs> it's it's the first time it's ever entered into negotiations. For As sure. if bunt cake <laughs> yeah. were some kind of code word for a cavalry charge. 
We cannot continue without Bunt Cake. Well, if you'd like to support the podcast, and who wouldn't after that? <laughs> if you'd like to support the podcast, more importantly, the work we do at our day jobs in Chicago, working with inmates and addicts and gang members and helping them get to know the Lord and go in their faith and get plugged into the local church. Of course, you can send baked goods, but maybe you don't have the time. Maybe you don't have the skill. You can go over to missionusa.com slash bridgebox, sign up to give $8 a month, a little micro-giving, and in return, oh, we don't just take the money and do the ministry with it. That's what everyone else in the nonprofit world does, but we go the extra mile. Ooh. We create every month a bridge box, which has songs, original songs, sermons, uh, devotion, guest devotionals. We've got um, uh, Bible studies. We've got lots of good stuff every month for you to help you grow in your walk. It's all based around a topic. And you also get support ministry. So missionusa.com slash bridge box. If you're not willing to give up, make with the baked goods, absolutely the number one way to support your friends here at the Say That Podcast. All right, if you have a question, we're going to jump right into our first question for us. If you have a question, hang out with us all the way to the end, and I'll give you some addresses where you get in, you can get in touch with us. Our first question comes in anonymously to our Tumblr inbox, and it says, What's so bad about church shopping? I went to a church on campus, and the pastor went on in his sermon about how awful it is that students have a, quote, consumer mentality unquote about church and we should just submit to the authority that god gave church leaders no that didn't sound right to me but i didn't know how to respond jed wants to start us off go with that feeling Uh, this is a great question um i think your pastor makes a lot of good points (laughs) um oh this may be bad uh, while we're on the subject, actually, it reminds me of something I've been meaning to bring up. Um, mm. I'd like to talk a bit about, well, frankly, how terrible and offensive it is that... Um, I'm so uncomfortable with you slipping into the legalistic Jed voice without announcing it, because <laughs> I feel like that may mean you're losing the thin veneer between you and the character. Matthew, I just think it's terrible and offensive and loathsome <laughs> that some people... And they know who they are, and so does Jesus. <laughs> that some people, yeah, they listen to the Say That podcast, <clears throat> but then sometimes they also listen to <clears throat> other podcasts. Poddultery. Poddultery. Now, look, it's not my place to call them two timing tramps, but that's what they are. <laughs> the one question I'd like to ask is how dare you? Second question how do you sleep at night? No, really. How do you sleep at night? Here's the thing. You need to simply submit to the authority that I have as a podcast person. Right. And do whatever I say. Right. No matter what, without questioning, because that's what biblical authority means. Right. Now, all of that (laughs) should sound patently ridiculous when you hear me say it. Yeah. Yeah. Every word of that should sound silly. If it doesn't, we need <laughs> we need to have a deeper conversation. There, right. there may be uh, things that are wrong with having a consumer mentality about church. Certainly, it may be possible to take a consumer mentality about church in wrong directions. But here's what I want you to know: your pastor doesn't know what those wrong things would be. Right. Um, this this is not a person that's trying to break down a wrong mindset and help you find the truth. This is a person saying, "Come to my church, put money in the plate, and don't expect me to do anything for you." Uh, right. that's, that's actually what's being told to you. You should have a problem with that. Uh, that's hugely bogus. And just so people don't think that that's um, an unfair statement, we've heard actually from a lot of people, both kind of just in life, but particularly in college, kind of bunch of camp college, and the phrase that has been repeated back to us again and again is, 
you're here to serve the church. The church is not here to serve you. <laughs> yeah. That is a verbatim quote from pastors. Dude. Uh, make this quick point because I think it, it dovetails with something uh, Glenn's going to talk about. Um, we deal with hundreds and hundreds of pastors. Uh, that's a, a part of our ministry is partnering with pastors and working with pastors. Um, we know some incredibly talented world-class pastors. We know some folks that, that struggle. Um, the world-class pastors all believe they are there to serve you. Right. All of them believe yeah. I am here to serve you. Yep. That's that's yep. my job. My job is to bend down and wash your feet. That's right. That's That's, right. that's my job. The only people that I have ever heard in my life say, oh, you're here to serve the church, are the pastors that don't know how to do that job exactly and are right. having a rough time with it yes. and are frustrated and discouraged yes. and don't know what else to do. Yes. Find yourself a good pastor that wants to serve you. That actually is the job of a pastor. That's absolutely right. I'll add to that list of people who um, uh, tend to say this kind of stuff. And this is not to excuse the behavior, because as you may have picked up on, we don't agree with it. It also often comes from people who are under a lot of pressure. Yes, that's mm-hmm. absolutely right. Maybe from a church plant or a megachurch campus that numbers need to be up and stay up. Chop, chop. Yeah, it doesn't never mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. comes from a good place. And Glenn, why don't you pick this up for us? It's a great point. And, and as Jed's pointing out, you really only hear this from sort of somebody who's in an insecure position that is theologically you have to know it's just not sound for you to stand up in in a room full of people and say you got to swallow whatever i give you yeah you got to stay here and put up with me whether i can preach or not and you're not around a lot allowed to look around and find that's just you know because jesus says because so. jesus says that, that's that's right out um i think uh, particularly preachers fresh out of seminary get something massively confused that we want to help sort out. Um, they are what's called ordained. In mm-hmm. many cases, they have a special ceremony within different denominations where they have an ordination ceremony where the church says, we as a church, as a denomination, we are uh, ordaining this person, meaning that we are saying that we believe he has the right theological preparation and the right heart and the right character to uh, then be a leader within this within the denomination to lead a church and all those kinds of things. Here's the thing. That's human yes. ordination. Now, you could say, well, God blesses it, and that'd be fun, sure. except for when you were ordained in your... Did anyone say, hey, God, before we do this... Do you want to sign off? Is this guy worthy or not? Because if that didn't happen, you all just decided to do that on your own. That's yeah. a human thing. Uh, it's it's a function of your again of your church of your denomination. Nothing wrong with it. No one's criticizing that. That was a human thing. God ordains who and He calls who He calls to do whatever He wants to do. That's separate from seminaries and and and. Uh, uh, theological systems in, in denominations. Now, Glenn, and so are you forth. saying there's a chance that God makes call some people who don't have forty thousand dollars to spend on seminary? That's exactly right. Fascinating. So, so the idea, uh, the, the, sometimes we get confused by this idea of, "Hey, I'm ordained, I'm authorized, I'm bona fide, I'm it." Therefore, if you're going somewhere else, you're going towards something bad. Yeah. Uh, what I'm giving you is the is the correct and proper and approach thing, uh, a, a proper approach to things. If you are going elsewhere, you're seeking for something less than legit, and that that therefore is a bad thing. That assumes that everything that I'm saying is both a legit, which is a bit of a long stretch, 
And also, you're assuming that what you're saying is not, for example, cripplingly boring. Sure. Uh, so, you know, you, 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 you can't simply say you got to put up with my lack of ability because that's yeah. good for you. That, yeah. does, that, that just does not wash. Here's another thing that, uh, because that, the, we're talking about the preacher now. I want to talk about the other side. I sure. want to talk about you. Sure. At the end of your life, the Lord's going to say, what did you, ha- in what ways did you prepare yourself to receive the word what did you do to get your fellowship needs met? What did you do to get uh, wisdom that would allow you to pursue your calling? And you will say, well, I went to whatever church that was authorized, and I talked to the guy who was authorized by the denomination, not by you, Lord, but by the denomination, and he talked a bunch of horse poo every Sunday and I said, well, it's wrong for me to go somewhere else because he the, says so. Because he said so. <laughs> yeah. And so I have not been fed for umpteen years, but Lord, I figured you would want me to stay there and not get fed, I guess, so that we don't confuse or upset this one dude who has no idea how to do his job. I mean, let's be real. God is calling you. And, 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 and holding you accountable to get your spiritual needs met, get your narrow behind out of this church and into a church where your needs are getting met. Amen. That's your responsibility. Amen. You want to know who's going to cross the line into something hinky and whatever. It's when you decide, I can claim a technicality in sure. front of the Lord. Mm. I'm going to make this point super, super quick because I, I don't want to go on and on. But here's what I'm saying. I see a lot of people... And, and we've had conversations about this, where they're doing something that's clearly they would not be w- ready to stand before God on it. You know, they're mistreating someone, they're acting you know, bigoted towards somebody, they're, 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 they're mistreating the poor, they're doing whatever, whatever. But they've, you can tell that their mentality about that is, I have a loophole. Sure. I can explain, well, I was doing this, or, well, I was following this pastor of the church where you called me, so whatever it is. There's a sense of, I can claim a technicality because pastor said to do so-and-so. I just did that, and I just rolled with that, and whatever was happening was happening. Whatever didn't happen didn't happen, but that's not my fault. That's pastor's fault. You can't mm-hmm. blame me because I was just following the herd. That does not wash theologically. Mm-hmm. God is ha- has an individual relationship with you. You have an individual accountability to him. You have to meet, uh, get your spiritual needs met. That's a, your, your sole responsibility. That's not the responsibility of your pastor. If, if you're not getting your needs met there, you need to go elsewhere. Simple Absolutely. as that. That's, that's a, you consider that a command. Absolutely. And from uh, up to this point, you've gotten the, the outsider perspective. Uh, I'd like to, Lee, I'd like you to talk a little bit about this from the, uh, the pastor perspective and just kind of your take on this whole thing. Well, I utterly agree with these guys on everything. And, and, and as anybody that would tell you, anybody that's ever tried to do uh, youth ministry <laughs> will tell you, you uh, look, you got to get it done or they're walking. You no bet, doubt. you know, and so it, the onus is on you, church. And the, yeah. you know, when you look at the way the Apostle Paul talked, he said, "Look, it's it's real simple. I, when I was with you, I made it my goal uh, to preach Jesus Christ only and ourselves as your servants. 
Right. That's that's the way a missionary, that's the way a pastor, that's the way somebody that's getting ministry done sees it, is I am your servant, and, uh, and, and it's my job to know where you are, to know what you need, to come up with something to feed you with, and to make it interesting and fun and the whole thing, and so that you can, so, you know, so that, so that you're, you, you know, you're, you're getting what you need there. The only other, and, and so I completely agree with what these guys are saying on this, the only other angle I would take on it is, <clears throat> because these guys are right, a lot of times people need to go check out other churches because it, the, the church where they're at is not getting it done. There is another side to this, in my opinion, uh, that I have seen uh, from being a pastor in a church for a long time, which is a lot of people, quote unquote, church shop because they're running away from conflict and bad relationships. Mm -hmm. Sure, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, And what I would say to you on that is what usually happens is, you know, somebody has uh, somebody, you know, you're, you're in a you're in relationships with people. You've got a Christian community. Stuff comes out. People find out who you really are. You have a bad situation with somebody else in the church or something like that. And then what somebody will do is rather than rather than, you know, being humble about the thing that they've been busted on or rather than uh, dealing with the conflict in a healthy and grown-up way, they just run away to a gigantic church where they can just disappear into mm. the into the masses. And mm. you know, because at the big ones, there's no lights on, there's no, and you just uh, you can't even hear yourself sing or anything like that. So you just disappear in into into that thing. And so what I would say on that is. If and so this is just a little different color. If that's what's going on, you need to know that wherever you go to church, wherever, if you engage in any actual relationships at all, you will not you might, you will find people you don't like. You will mm-hmm. find people that you have natural kind of uh conflict with that you bump heads with. If you have any real relationships at all, you're going to have conflict. You're going to have to have some vulnerability if you want to grow at all. And so you can't run away from that forever and be a and have a genuine spiritual life with actual human mature relationships. Amen. So if there's if there's uh, quote unquote church shopping happening because people are afraid to have relationships and afraid to face conflict, you will never grow until you are willing to be humble and do those things. But uh, but as I'm saying before, I totally agree with these guys on the 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 onus of serving is on the church. Um, but you know, it, but if people are running away from their problems, you're never going to stop running until you just run away into something so big nobody cares. I think it's a great point. I think it's a really good balancing out of there's a couple of things going on here. One, uh, I I will echo what everybody said. I'm pro-church shopping. Um, yep. You shop to find the good one. Yep. Nobody would ever say you have to buy the first car you happen to test drive because right. that would be madness because maybe that car has some a funky smell and some odd noises coming out of it. Take that into the church analogy, however you will. But no. I think Lee's absolutely right that there are there church shopping can be a symptom of a bad thing. Maybe that's what these pastors get a little frustrated with. One is it's exactly what Lee's talking about, using it as an excuse not to engage. Yeah. Right. You know, you know you got a church somewhere, that's but you kind of bounce around, you this group and that group, and it's under the guise of we want to find something that works for our family or I want to find the right thing for me. And it's really just, I want to go to church, but not ever get called on, you know, having to get involved. So I'll just kind of bounce around. That's fine. It's, and it's the same instinct that unfortunately a lot of people at church have that keeps them, you know, I come for the hour on Sunday morning, but I don't do the, I don't do the small group. I don't do the, the mission trip. I don't do that stuff. It's the same thing. And pastors are, 
pastors are frustrated with that too. We hear a lot. And that's, that's a, a useful, a understandable and constructive frustration. The problem when you get into hinky territory is people saying, a pastor saying, you shouldn't make me earn it. Yeah. Right. Because there's also really good pastors, pastors I love and respect. And I know I do this, my own ministry career, and I'm sure we all do get frustrated with people not listening, Mm -hmm. not doing the Mm -hmm. thing that we know would be good for them. But the difference on that is it's when you have already earned it in a way, as Glenn was pointing out, different than I am bona fide by this institution that you've never met anyone from. And denominations have their own issues on some of that stuff. So, but that's so, so when someone comes in and says, Oh, I don't have to earn it. I have this. Here's my degree. I have authority. (laughs) I do have authority. I am from the Moody Bible Institute. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you must do the things I say and do church my way. Right. That's kind of annoying. And I would say even sometimes uh, pastors will try to toe that line by getting the, oh, people just want to go to where there's people their age or where the worship is the kind they like. What's wrong with that? Yeah. Why wouldn't you want to go? If you're, One of the big points of church is having community. Why wouldn't you want to go where there are people, you know, Absolutely. if you're, you know, if you are a young couple with kids, you probably want other young couples with kids. If you are an older person, you might want other retired people. If you're a young single person, you probably want young single people, even though you won't admit the reason you want young single people at the yes. church. But there's nothing particularly wrong with any of that. Now, all these things can go in a hinky direction, but anytime you get any authority figure in any walk of life, really, but particularly we're talking about pastor church saying, we are authority and God has made us that and you must submit to us. That's a really dangerous um, subversion of what the Bible says, which is, you may, the Son of Man came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve. Yes. Anyone who wishes to be great and be a leader among you must take on the very nature of a servant. So anytime you get, it, it, we understand how it happens because a lot of times being a pastor means being in charge. But the thing that is supposed to set Christianity apart, as Jesus lines out, is worldly people are in charge in a very specific way, which is everybody get in line with me. We're doing what I'm doing. Christian leadership is supposed to kind of be the exact flip of that. So if mm-hmm. you're not catching that, that's a church you don't want to be in for a great many number of reasons. No doubt. All right, so we're going to move on to our interview. This is Hootie and the Blowfish drummer Jim Sonefeld. I don't get tired of saying we interviewed a member of Hootie and the Blowfish on the show because it's crazy to me. But he's a really good dude. He's got his third uh, CCM album now. The good news is they're all very easy titles to remember. The first one is called Found. The second one is called In. And the newest one is called Love. So those are three EPs he has up on iTunes. You can find more from him at Jim Sonefeld, S-O-N-E-F-E-L-D.com. And he has a Facebook page if you want to get in touch with him. But we had a lot, we had a really good chat. It's kind of about his story. Um, some really interesting uh, stuff he brings up that we talk about on the podcast a lot. So we're actually going to come back and talk about those a little more. But for now, we're taking my interview with Jim Sonefeld. I'd love to start with just kind of how you grew up and uh, did you grow up in church? Did you grow up around kind of faith and what was that like for you? I uh, was raised in a, a real loving Midwestern Catholic family. My mom and dad uh, showed us church. I actually went to Catholic school as well up until about uh, freshman year in high school. And, uh, you know, we all played a lot of sports, did a lot of stuff together, good, strong family. And, and, uh, I, um, you know, I was definitely in church every Sunday, and uh, I'm not sure, uh, how, uh, rather than lay the blame on the church, I would say that 
I wasn't a good listener and probably wasn't ready to um, uh, give my life over in a, in a deeper way than that 60 minutes uh, on Sunday morning. And uh, that came back to bite me in the butt later on. <laughs> Well, as someone who who preaches regularly, I appreciate you putting some of the onus of blame on the audience. I will, I will say that. Um, so let's yeah jump ahead to obviously people know you from Hootie and the Blowfish, but that was your college band, right? You guys got started when you were freshmen at South Carolina. Well, I was uh, down here uh, playing soccer uh, for the University of South Carolina, and after my four years of uh, you know sports eligibility were up. Uh, I really wanted to get back to what I felt was a, a musical calling. I'd played drums growing up, and uh, so I started playing in, in bands around here. And you know, we knew of the bands that were successful. One of them was Hootie and the Blowfish, and I was in another band. And uh, I really wanted to start writing music. And uh, Mark, our guitarist, ended up in a class with me. And um, he, had, you know, I mentioned I wanted to write more songs. He mentioned they were looking for a drummer. Uh, who was uh, ironically going off to uh, after college to pursue his Christian faith more seriously? Okay, and uh, so he uh, said, "We're you know you want to try out?" So I said, "Yeah, oh, definitely." So we hit it off. We started writing songs together. We were off sort of at the end of last couple semesters of uh, college at that time, but they had been playing together for you know several years uh, around the university, um, but. Uh, we uh, decided when we graduated that we really wanted to commit to not getting real jobs, if you will. <laughs> I definitely understand that. So you're 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 all young guys, and you're in your probably early to mid twenties, and the whole thing just just goes insane. You know, t- t- twelve times platinum. What was that like for you as a person? How did that? You mentioned you know not not always absorbing the message in church coming back to bite you in the butt. What was that, you know, kind of having a, a rocket strapped to you, you know, all the money and the fame, what did that do to your life? Well, it's something nobody really prepares for, but we, we had, you know, we had committed to something and we had, unlike my church life, I had dedicated as well as the other guys to writing songs, getting in front of as many fans as possible, networking, traveling, you know, sacrificing some of the, things that normal people our age would have been doing, uh, you know, and, and it was family life. And so we've made a big commitment and we did spend about five years on the road playing dumpy clubs and trying to build our following before Atlantic records ever signed us. Um, certainly uh, when they signed us, we thought we'd already hit big just by that was our dream to get a record deal, but we weren't uh, very unaware of uh, the fact that we were about to become uh, uh, bigger than our dreams had ever thought about. And so when, you know, sales go from selling uh, a couple thousand a week to maybe five or 10,000 a week to 20 to 30 to 50 to 100, it was, it was, uh, you didn't really have time to, you know, rest and think, oh, this has been great. There was no gaining any perspective because it was happening, you know, like, uh, relatively quickly after the record was released. And, Man, it's it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. Certainly, uh, there's enough uh, things to get you going down a bad road in life. But when you hang out in clubs and you have a lot of enabling uh, friends and fans, and you don't have a foundation, then uh, that could even be more troublesome, as it turned out for me. 
And I'd love to get you to talk a little bit about that kind of uh, as well. Obviously, we'll get into a big part of your your story now is um, coming through recovery and writing songs about that and helping other people in that. So, at what point do you do you look around and realize, as you said, you know, I've succeeded beyond even what I would have dreamt for myself, but at the same time, life has gotten out of control for me. Well, I've taken my cue from you know society and culture. I, I, I looked at my worth and I. Uh, you know, based it on I have a bunch of cars, I have a couple houses, um, I have a what looks like a successful marriage, and I'm starting a family. My career has gone great, and uh, you know, people are patting me on the back, and you've got fans and, and a bank account and all this stuff. And it looks that's how we measure ourselves by societal rules. And um, I did, I measured it, and so as I started drinking in that cycle of continued partying started getting a little bit uh, uh, much, I thought, well, I'm, society keeps telling me I'm doing great, so I, I guess I'm doing great, and I use that to rationalize uh, some pretty bad behavior, and, you know, when you're on the road, you're, you've climbed up the successful mountain, and then you're coming down the other side, as inevitably happens, uh, you know, you struggle with fear, and you struggle with doubt, and wondering where your career is going, and I think I ended up nursing some of those tough truths with alcohol and drugs and uh, eventually it got into a cycle that I couldn't find my way out of, which is what happens to a lot of people who become, you know, addicted or uh, whatever, where you start something, you don't know why you started it, you don't know when you started it, but you can't get your way out of it and you're having trouble uh, finding the courage to ask somebody else for help. So what was that asking somebody else for help uh, process like? Did you um, did you kind of realize you needed something and start in recovery? Did And when did your faith kind of start to reemerge in that? Well, the, you know, the feeling is uh, that I got when I realized I was down and couldn't fight my way out of it or couldn't think my way out of it is, is a word I'd heard before in my Christian upbringing, and it's called humility. And yes. It wasn't something, it was not something I was a fan of or <laughs> thought was a good thing. Uh, I didn't really even know what it meant, but it meant that I felt real small all of a sudden and um, slightly embarrassed and, uh, you know, humbled. Um, here I was, a 40-year-old man with a lot of material things, but a big hole in his heart that was unfilled. And uh, I uh, had to go ask a group of people for help. I knew one guy who I had formerly partied with who had gotten clean, and he's the one I called. I said, dude, take me to whatever place you've been going because to, 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 you look like you've got your life turned around. And um, so he did. He took me to a meeting, and uh, I met some other people who had practiced the 12 steps, and uh, their lives, which had been dark and stormy and out of control had turned around and there was laughter and there was speaking, uh, people talking about spiritual progress and people talking about, uh, you know, seeking humility and things like uh, spiritual growth. These were concepts I hadn't heard since I last uh, uh, walked through the doors of my church as a kid. And so was, was, what was the process of you kind of wanting a relationship with Christ and that did that, as you're saying, did that kind of come gradually as you heard more of that? Or was there just kind of a a moment of something from your past jumping up to you? When did you 
not only realize, you know, I have to turn my life into this recovery, but Jesus has got to be a part of that. Well, I, you know, I, the only thing I knew at the beginning is that, uh, that I, for sure, was that I, I couldn't drink or use drugs anymore, that that mm. would probably mean either a slow or quick descent into a, something, a horrible place that would be painful for not only me, but my family, and um, I was lucky to uh, accept that and understand that, but, you know, the spirituality and the Christ-centered steps that are used through all the 12-step groups pointed me back to where I had uh, vaguely been in my uh, religious upbringing. The, the principles that are used were the principles that Jesus taught. They're undoubtedly have been used many ways through the through the uh, you know last several thousand years and before, but uh, I remembered some of these talks about unconditional love and humility and uh, in in from Jesus, and so I thought, well, I think I know where to go when when these groups are talking about a higher power or uh, um, uh, uh, say you know they don't say a savior, obviously, but even talking about something greater than ourselves, I think I knew where to go, and it, it was that seed that had been planted. Um, you know, by my Catholic upbringing. And as much as I didn't think I had walked away with anything but a sort of a pissed-off attitude <laughs> church, here I had that one seed, that one little bit that said, I think I know where to turn when they're talking about a power greater than yourself. And uh, I turned over the period of a year or two, because it is a definite work in progress for some people that have some bad thinking like I did, I turned uh, back to the Bible. I turned back to uh, Jesus. I turned back. I, you know, tiptoed my way back towards church. I was not running and jumping and screaming to get back in there because I was still a little bit unsure. Uh, but uh, indeed, uh, I started to learn more, and I learned it with a different set of eyes than I had ever uh, viewed life uh, before through, and um, it was a beautiful thing, and I, I uh, you know, continued to just not to be able to get enough of it. And I I learned along the way. I'm quite an infant, even though I've been clean for a de- over a decade. I'm quite an infant when it comes to my spiritual growth, if I'm honest. Absolutely, and luckily, uh, I think Paul tells us we all are. So you're in good company for sure. <laughs> uh, well, I'd love to. I, that's so fascinating. There's so much. You know, I we always kind of tell uh, folks we're working with and our listeners. You know, when you start to live it out, when you start to actually, you know, do things in your faith. Um, so much stuff that seems cliche or kind of Bible stuff comes alive, and it's so interesting you're talking about, you know, there's the prodigal son story in that. There's, um, you know, good seed falling on good soil in that, as you're saying. You know, it may not seem like much, but it it happens. It's such a, a cool thing. And I, I would love to get you to talk about kind of how you're talking about, you know, the spirituality kind of laid dormant, and then you found a use for it. Kind of on the flip side of that is you, music had been there all along, and now so— how do you, what's the process of having thing, so this thing from, you know, the previous life, that being the music stuff, and using that in this new thing you're doing? Well, I, I certainly, over time, found myself to, to feel quite blessed with that desperate feeling that I needed to continue on a spiritual path, even though something, you know, as tedious uh, as alcohol and drugs and my bad thinking got me there, I realized that uh, uh, this new path was something worth surrendering daily for. And uh, the more I did that and the more I changed, the more it changed everything around me. I thought, well, I, I now have, instead of a 
painful life of heartbreak, regret, broken relationships, and and abuse, I've got some evidence here that is a celebration of rebirth, a celebration of redemption. And, you know, all songwriters, they write what they're living. So Mm. if uh, my life was getting better, I sure as heck was going to start writing about it. So all all of a sudden, the guy that had written, uh, you know, some poppy songs earlier in his, me and my songwriting career, and then had mostly... Had you know come to writing songs about painful heartbreak, I uh, had had all this celebration in front of them, and so I was I was a new territory for me. And I I remember asking Jesus to sort of bless the the idea that I was going to try and start writing to glorify God. And if you know if this is the path for me, then show me the well. And uh, I tell you, the well definitely appeared. It opened up, and it sprang forth a you know a, a spring that is still growing in me. Not only are you writing songs to glorify God, you're actually using your musical abilities in a way to kind of help other people and turn around. We were talking before the we hit record on this uh, with uh, recovery groups and playing at churches. And what's that been like to take this thing that, as you were saying earlier, had given you a lot of material and success and stuff, and using that to you know pour out of yourself? Well, I, I found out. Uh... Uh, someone gave me a couple of contemporary Christian CDs and I'd, uh, just been into recovery a little bit and, and was, uh, you know, getting my feet under me, but, uh, still hadn't quite, uh, realized that Jesus is going to be my savior. <laughs> I was, uh, uh, enjoying some of the principles and the spiritual growth, but, uh, somebody gave me a couple of contemporary CDs and I thought, I wasn't sure what does all this mean? These guys playing rock and roll music, but they're singing about Jesus. I had never really even uh, heard that style of music. It was Jeremy Camp. It was Casting Crowns. And I, David Crowder, I thought, wow, this is, I, I get this. I, you know, and as Jesus grew in my heart, I realized, I think this is what I'm supposed to be singing about, as scary as it is, because I'm not that bold of a person to, you know, go and uh, sing my faith uh, yet. But uh, my wife encouraged me to, to write about my faith and my journey, and, you know, that includes and is now sort of centered around uh, uh, Jesus Christ. So what am I going to write about? I'm going to write about that. Yeah. And um, uh, it's been great. I, you know, was not sure where where the path would take me. I, wouldn't, I didn't get there overnight, but uh, it, it, it was revealed to me that this is where you're supposed to be. And what, it doesn't matter whether there's... 10,000 fans or 10 fans, uh, I want you to sing about me and my glory. And it's been a beautiful journey. It's been humbling because this isn't like the road of being the a fish where <laughs> we're uh, playing in front of all these people. I get to see one-on-one uh, recoverers and, and people who are believers, people who are still seeking and on the fence and unsure. And I get to tell them uh, what can happen if you stick around and believe and, and turn your life over to something bigger and better than uh, your own will. That's all fantastic. And the the, la- the latest album is kind of the, the the newest step in that journey, and it's called Love. You can get it right now. And Jim, thanks so much for joining us. You're very welcome. You guys have a blessed uh, afternoon. All right, we hope you enjoyed that. I did have a really uh, good conversation there with Jim. Enjoyed it. Again, you can find him at Jim Sonefeld, S-O-N-E-F-E-L-D dot 
Com. He's uh, touring around. He lives in uh, Columbus, South Carolina. I think he's doing some touring around there locally. He plays. He mentioned playing some uh, recovery groups and uh, keep an eye out. Go check out the albums if that's the kind of music you're into. He does a really great job with it. Okay, so he actually brought up some uh, fascinating things in those interview in the interview that as I sent it around to these guys and uh, they were kind of listening to it. Uh, Glenn pointed out that actually is stuff we talk about in the podcast a lot. So really, yeah, thought it'd be interesting to kind of once you've heard the real world example to kind of look at some of the way we look at that. And Glenn, why don't you start us off with a, he talked about, and this is Glenn. I've never seen Glenn happier than when a Christian of, as we put it, the Caucasian persuasion was singing the, uh, the merits of humility. Yes. Absolutely so right. Let's talk just a little bit about how powerful a force that can be. Well, absolutely. I loved uh, and was really uh, impressed by the stuff he was talking about with the twelve step program, and 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 uh, humility is a big part of uh, you know that's the first step is admitting you have a problem and 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 owning that to say I'm I'm I I, I have a problem with this. It's it's beyond my control. I need uh, uh, God to be a power greater than myself to control it. Um, and, uh, so it's great to hear, we were just recently on the podcast talking about the, the, the virtues of the 12 step, uh, stuff once you actually understand it, which a lot of people don't, uh, and to hear, uh, how he mixes that attitude of humility into it. I, you know, one of the things we do, uh, part of the ministry here is we end up, uh, uh, looking at and evaluating pastors and and where they are in their walk and and helping people plug into their churches if they're if they're good pastors, and we work with all different kinds of pastors. It has to be said that that, that we work with people who are just brand new to preaching. If they're open to to being taught, we we work with guys who, um, you know, we we just have a sense of this guy to be good on the microphone and. Um, and and then we work with a, a certain significant number of guys who are in sort of that middle tier, who um, are are uh, occasionally amazing and occasionally great, uh, usually almost always very good, but sort of it varies because they're still in the learning, so they're in sort of that middle learning kind of place. Uh, and then we have some pastors at the bridge who are just. They just rock it every mm-hmm. single time they're on the mic. Every time they get up and preach, you hear something that gives you a breakthrough in your brain where you're just like, oh, wow, I never thought of it that way. Of course, that's why I have this problem. That sort of thing where it's just transcendent. But the thing, and, and these are all different kinds of guys, all different kinds of preaching styles, all of that. But those those men who are at that top tier, the thing that they all have in common is humility. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, you're, you're talking about a guy who's sold a zillion bajillion records mm-hmm. <laughs> every time. You know, when I go to work, nobody is like cheering. Yay, yeah, yeah. The, when this guy goes to work, he picks up some drumsticks. Everybody goes crazy, you know, yeah. which is great. You know, if you can, if you can get that kind of work. But if you took the average individual who'd been through that, and their head would be ten times the normal yes. size. You know, they would just think sure. I'm the best everything. Yeah, uh, you should just uh, dig how cool I am. But to get to a point where you say I've seen all that, I've done all that, it was great for what it was worth. But I, I had to get to a place where I can humble myself in order to receive healing from the from the negative side of all of that world. 
and to come out of it just just a, a humble guy who's saying, hey, I don't know, uh, I got struggles the same way that you have struggles. Mm-hmm. Let's work on that together. Let's sing about it. Let's talk about it. Let's let's uh, share about it, as they would say in the in the twelve step uh, program, and uh, see what we can learn from one another. So I was really impressed with with his humility in in that mm-hmm. uh you know not this not a grandstanding self aggrandizing sort of humble brag but it was it was just a pure straight you know hey this is this is where i'm at you know mm-hmm. yeah i thought that was great as well and lee i'd like to get you to talk a little bit about uh, one of the moments i loved is he's talking about um kind of being down and being kind of caught up in the stuff he was caught up in and saying oh, i had one buddy who i used to party with who had cleaned himself up so I just decided whatever he's doing and whatever God is making that happen, I'm just going to do that. And we talk a lot on the show, people saying, you know, I want to get better at kind of um, speaking and I want to know the right things to say and I want to have yeah. a witness. So what you've talked about this a lot. And I know you talk about this a lot with kind of the young people you work with. What can you tell us about the impact of just living it out and letting that speak for itself? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, one of the things is, especially just in – I keep getting surprised by it being in ministry for uh, quite a long time at this at this point, and uh, more and more when we when, you know folks that we work with who are really really turning stuff around, really coming to know the Lord, we kind of break that down and talk about you know tell me what changed for you, tell me how that process happened, and so many of them over and over again are saying, well I I just saw in in this dude over here. Um, that dude's just different than the rest of my friends. And, uh, and it looks like he's been hanging around with y'all for the last couple of years. And so I, so that's why I started coming is cause I gotta, I gotta figure out what, what that's all about. Um, or somebody saying, you know, I, I look at the, I look at the marriage that you guys have and that's where I want to be. And, you know, or I look at the friendships that you guys, I, th- that's one thing that's I, I've been seeing more and more recently is High school kids who want to know Jesus because they're watching some of us, mm. you know, the leaders in our ministry, just by our friendships with each other. Wow. They're able to look at that and say, the way that my friends all treat each other, we basically are jerks to each other 100% of the time. And the way that you guys hang out, y'all have so much fun and you're kind to each other. And it's so weird. I've never seen anything like it before. Y'all have more fun than anybody and nobody's tearing anybody down and and we just don't even know how to process that but it's so cool over and over again we're seeing in our lives and our relationships and friendships marriages and stuff like that that people want to know Jesus and and it's not it's it's we're just living we're just hanging out having a sandwich or we're at the ball game together or whatever the impact of seeing somebody that really gets it and is really living it out in their relationships it never fails that that's the thing in the end of this I, I think in the end we're going to look back and see that's the thing that really 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 changed people's lives is somebody else with a changed life amen amen absolutely well uh Jed one of the ways that uh brother Jim's um, story mirrors your own is trying to make a go of it in secular music and then that not working out <laughs> to the extent that it didn't work out is maybe where the variance in that story comes in. But I, I like the idea of, you know, I kind of, I was, you know, I was a rock star and I was writing songs. And I was playing music. And then I decided, what does Jesus want me to do? And it turned out, luckily it had a lot of overlap. So, and you, you talk about this on the show a lot. I'd love to get us to kind of expound on this, that idea of take what, take the gifts you have and use those. Don't sit around and wait for God to give you seemingly Christian gifts to be able to use. Sure, sure, absolutely. Well, I do think there's a, there's a, a huge risk in, you know, you, you, 
I think you can run into one of two mistakes a lot of people do. The first is to is to look around at a world in huge need. I mean, there's just incredible uh, uh, poverty and suffering and all kinds of stuff going on and say, I'm good at baking, so what what good could that possibly do? Well, uh, it turns out God can use anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, he can, he can take any skill, any talent, any gift and turn it into something really incredible. He's the one who gave it to you in the first place. The other place that people go wrong is... Um, and this is more in Christian stuff, as they say, well, um, you know, if I'm not a, a great inspirational writer or a really powerful anointed speaker, that's you know, there's probably nothing for me. Um, and again, it's the same idea of saying there's certain gift sets that matter and certain gift sets that don't, and I'm afraid that I'm on the don't. But the thing that we see again and again in the Bible, and that certainly I've seen be true in my life, and, and Jim points to being true in his life, is that when we take what we have and we say, God, here it is. Use it however you see fit. It's it's yours to command and control. God can can perform miracles through it. You know, I mean mm-hmm. the the part of the point of the story of the feeding of the five thousand is a little boy with a sack lunch fed an army uh, because he was willing to give it to God. He was willing right. to say, "This is yours. You take it. You make something with it." So, um, for for me to to a certain extent and. Um, to, to Jim, perhaps to a much larger extent, you know, we have some experience and, and some abilities in, in music and going to God and saying, here, take this, do something with it. God can do amazing things. It may not look amazing to the world, right. um, but the impact for the kingdom, the impact on an actual human life, there's, there's absolutely no limit to it. And this is the other thing, and I think it's the thing that, that so many people miss is that's where the fun is. Yes, thank when, you. When you take the things that you like doing, that you're good at, that you have a giftness for, and that you find joy in, and you submit them to God so that he's using them to build up other people and draw them close to himself, there is no fun like that. Mm. There, there is nothing in life that's that fun, that rewarding, that enjoyable, that energizing and exciting. That, to me, anyway, that's it. I mean, I, I remember clear as a bell the moment I was, you know, finally working on music, and I realized I'm having a lot of fun doing this. But also, I know God's going to take this recording and use this to really help and encourage some people. And I think my brain just melted. Right. Um, uh, it, it's it was, like a, a joy squared, or something. it is like joy squared. And I think, yeah, you know, I've certainly experienced that. And I think that's part of what Jim's describing. And the cool takeaway for you know folks listening to this podcast right now is God wants to do that in your life too, mm-hmm. whether that's music or astronomy or baseball or it doesn't matter. Um, right. you, you have things you enjoy doing. Give them to God. Um, ask him what he wants, why he gave you those gifts, what he wants to do with them, and then sit back and watch incredible, amazing things happen and just enjoy that ride. Amen. Amen. All right, that's a lot of good stuff. We hope you enjoyed the interview. We hope you enjoyed uh, the advice on this show. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com or thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. And as always, if you have uh, people you'd like to hear interviewed on the show, you think might have something to say, you think would be neat to hear interact with us, uh, choose an email and suggest it. We can't promise we'll get everybody, but um, a couple weeks ago, I wouldn't have thought we could get the drummer from Hootie the Blowfish. So the world's <laughs> a weird place. <laughs> and again, thank you so much to Jim for joining me. That was a lot of fun. And again, he did not have to take time out of his day to talk to some missionaries in Chicago. So Jim Sonefeld, S-O-N-E-F-E-L-D.com. You can find him on Facebook. You can find the albums on iTunes. They're definitely worth checking out. All right, we're going to take you out with one of our own songs, though, Lest We Be Bested by an Outsider. Mm. This is a song. Jed wrote for Outlaw Biker Gangs. Top that Christian music world. Woo! It's called You Always Have My Bags, one of my favorite Jed worship songs. Really good. We're going to take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Bunt cake stat! <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been running around, but you ran 
Your love back